In this episode, I'm going to give you actionable tools for overcoming anxiety as a parent so that you can cruise your way through your days worry-free or at least a lot less anxious than you may have been feeling up until now. I would love for you to stick with me until the end because I'm going to share a list of resources that can help you with anxiety both for yourself and for your children. Critically important, am I right? You're listening to The Parenting Junkie Show, the place to go to love parenting and to parent from love. I'm your host, Avital. I'm Avital. If you're just meeting me for the first time, hi, thank you so much for giving me the time here. I'm a mindful parenting coach. I'm the mother of four, and my goal is to help you, my fellow imperfect but intentional parents, say goodbye to clutter, chaos, manage the conflict, and reclaim peace, presence, and play for your family. I try out lots of alternative and progressive and new parenting ideas. Some of them are ancient, um, but new to me on my own family, my lab. And then I share the ones that I find work or that work for clients of mine with you on my YouTube channel, on my blog, and here on the podcast as well. Before we go any further, let me just announce our winner for this week. I am so excited to welcome Lily Sosa from Ireland to the stage. Lily, you are our winner. We have randomly selected you, but it wasn't at all random that you left a lovely five shiny stars and a lovely review on iTunes. So thank you so very much. And you also were part of our Parenting Junkie launch team. You joined the Facebook group. Excuse me. You joined the Facebook group. You said me when I asked who will support me in launching this podcast. You showed up, Lily. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And you left this lovely review that said, just what I needed. I'll follow whoever tells me, don't follow dogmas and no judgment here. Ha ha ha. Seriously, I really like the idea to follow instincts and parent from love and love parenting. Lily, I'm so glad that you like these ideas. That's wonderful that they resonate with you. And I hope what will resonate with you even more is going to be that we are sending you your very own login to our best-selling course, Empathic Limits. The course is all about how you can say yes and mean yes, say no and mean no, and follow through without yelling, shaming, punishing, bribing, or counting to three. That infamous counting to three. So yeah, it's really kind of the missing piece to peaceful parenting. We know we shouldn't be too permissive. We know we shouldn't be too punitive. But then how do we get our kids to actually cooperate with us? Well, hopefully Empathic Limits is going to help you big time. And Devon, who has taken Empathic Limits, says that he loves it. Such a great resource. I look back at it and watch it often and get something new out of it each time depending on what is going on with my son and myself. So you see, uh, hopefully this will be a resource for you for years to come, Lily. You have won that. So please email us, support at theparentingjunkie.com and we will make sure to get you all set up with your shiny new Empathic Limits course. Lily, thank you again so much. So anxiety is a topic that is near and dear to my heart, and I'll soon explain exactly why that is, what the personal stakes for me are when it comes to anxiety. But 
What I have seen over and over again with thousands of people who I interact with online in my community is that anxiety is one of our biggest problems as parents. And I have to say, when I moved to the US, I felt that even stronger. I have lived in London and in Israel, and I never felt the same level of anxiety, especially with regards to parenting, but just in general than I have felt since moving to the US. There is something about East Coast culture, at least, where I live now, and that feels very high anxiety, especially when it comes to parenting. It seems almost as though it's a sport to worry. There's a kind of unspoken competition. Who's more worried? Who's more anxious? And it's something that I really, really reject and rebel against and rally against. And I think it's at the core of so many of our difficulties as parents. You know, a few months ago, I posted on the Love Parenting with Avital Facebook group. Quick plug, if you're not in that group, please come. It's amazing. The best parents from around the globe hang out there. So that's Love Parenting with Avital on Facebook. But a few months ago, I posted asking, what is your biggest anxiety as a parent? And there were, I think there were 70 plus comments on there with so many different um, types of anxiety and so much overlap as well. Like so many of us feel the same types of anxieties as parents. But the things that came up there were just heartbreaking. You know, when you think about going through the day with anxious, fearful thoughts plaguing you, reoccurring, just playing like a broken tape recorder in your mind that you keep having these scary ideas flashing across your mind, you know, it's real suffering. It's true suffering to be anxious. Some of the things that people wrote there, um, just, I, I felt it. I felt their anxiety. I felt the pain. I really wanted to just, just reach through the screen and give each of those mamas and papas a hug and say, hey, I feel you. Like Melissa, who said, honestly, so much, but my biggest fear is just generally speaking, them being lost, missing or abducted and not being with me and being scared. So this fear that something terrible would happen to her children, that they would be somehow separated from her and she couldn't do anything about it. And then Kristen said, me too. And Katie said, health without a doubt. A lot of people felt that there were a lot of fears around health, around natural disasters um, or around just kind of more realistic, or I don't want to say not realistic when it comes to natural disasters, but just more common and almost probable issues like my my kids having emotional issues or being bullied or having social difficulty or not doing well in school or in career or me not being able to provide for them or me having damaged them. Like the fact that I got a divorce or that I'm a single parent or that we have illness in the family or that they uh, were, you know, I don't know, cried it out when they were a baby that I have somehow damaged them through those things that I did do or that I did not do, that I did provide or did not provide or will in the future, right? Uh, Michelle said emotional well-being. That's her biggest anxiety. Am I giving them what they need? Is it enough? Am I enough? Kimberly said things I can't control like natural disasters. How will they survive if we die? Um, Morbid things like that. So just shout out to all of all of my uh, fellow anxious mamas and papas. Uh, I know how very difficult that is. And a few weeks ago, I made a video on YouTube. It was one of my parody videos and it was about anxiety. It was how to be more anxious. It's called Anxious Parenting 101. And I kind of made this because I wanted to shed a different light on anxiety and bring in some humor. And a lot of people really enjoyed it and some people really didn't enjoy it. And I'm going to just dive into that for a moment. 
And so what I did was I kind of gave these ways of, if you haven't watched the video, I kind of gave these ways of being more anxious, like worry about things that are really vague, worry about things in the future, worry about things you can't control. And the reason I did it this way is because for me, when I was in the grips of anxiety, when I was paralyzed with anxiety, I couldn't see it any other way. I couldn't see it as, um, you know, ridiculous or silly or, you know, too much or not real. It was so real to me. But then when I was able to access some humor, when some people could make light of it, in a supportive way, when they laughed with me, I actually started laughing and giggling and it really released a lot of the pressure around the anxiety that I was suffering through and that humor really helped me. And so this video, just in case it rubbed you the wrong way if you watched it, I just wanna say it came from that place. Um, So some of the comments on that video were like, Amanda's comments who said, yeah, you pretty much described my life right now. Thanks for adding some humor to my day. Or Katrina, who said, Avital, I swear you have cameras in my home. I love this video. Hashtag anxious mommy. Uh, This was definitely something I needed. Thank you so much for this and all the content you share. It has been an amazing journey discovering conscious parenting. Thanks to women like you and Dr. Shafali. I already can't wait till next week's video. Or Grace, who said, definitely fear. Um, Worrying about what people are thinking about me as a first-time mom, thanks for the laugh. So a lot of people enjoyed that because when you feel some level of anxiety, but then you can suddenly make light of yourself and you can suddenly step outside yourself and see it in a new light, it can be helpful. But then there were a couple of people who didn't find it helpful, like Nina, who said, I've watched everything you put out there and have loved most of it. These new videos, I'm just not a fan. I get that you're using humor to talk about hard, real topics, but they just missed the mark. I have an anxiety disorder that I manage day by day and sometimes hour by hour. It's a chemical imbalance. I'm severely allergic to every single medication that might control it. My fears aren't funny or irrational. I feel like you are marginalizing mental illness. So just shout out to Nina and anyone else who may have felt that this video was insensitive. And I just want to say, I absolutely wasn't relating to a mental illness here. I was relating to the baseline anxiety that almost every parent I've ever met, no, probably every parent I've ever met, feels. We all feel anxiety. Now, all people maybe feel some fear and anxiety, but I get the sense that parenting just heightens that like a million fold. Suddenly it becomes so much more extreme so much more intense. And I think it's really important to actively call that out in ourselves, to actively notice the anxieties and to actively find the tools, the roots, the communities, the inspiration um, and the skills, etc., to break down that anxiety, to step outside of it. Because if anxiety controls us, we really, I don't know, we, we can't really enjoy our lives. Our life joy is impeded heavily. And it's because we're living kind of in this mask, in this heightened sense that something's wrong, that there's danger. When you're in that mode, that fight, flight, or freeze mode, um, you can't rest and digest. You can't be present. You can't enjoy the moment. You can't feel gratitude. You can't feel grace. You can't feel ease or flow. You just can't. Your brain is in a completely different place. So, If you have a mental illness or if you have an anxiety disorder or if you have some level of PTSD and trauma, et cetera, which most of us have some low-grade, you know, 
These are all spectrums. So most of us have some of the symptoms of some of these um, disorders. I certainly do. Um, But if it's actually interfering with your day-to-day life, if you can't manage uh, what you might call typical day-to-day interactions, getting through the day, you know, having your shower, getting out to work, taking your children to school, or whatever it is, those types of things. If you can't manage those things, then you do need to see a professional. And I just want to make that disclaimer here. I'm going to give you some of the tools that have helped me, but I absolutely cannot recommend therapy enough for someone who has, uh, you know, crippling anxiety something that's debilitating you. Even if it's just getting in the way a little bit, please seek some therapy. And if you can't afford therapy or don't have access to therapy, check out online content and books about CBT. CBT is the form of therapy that has helped me with anxiety in the past. And I hope that you will find that it will help you. For me, often just learning the actual therapies uh, helps me to kind of treat myself and heal myself in some ways. But of course, real life therapy in that case would be ideal and optimal. Um, Yeah, so we're going to actually dive into anxiety in a deeper way here and talk about what we can do about it and how we can overcome it. But I think it's really important to normalize it, to realize that it's valid, that it's part of our lives. And I'm going to be sharing resources that have helped me with anxiety and that have helped Uh, a lot of people in my community and some resources for helping children with anxiety in the show notes for today's episode. So that can be found at theparentingjunkie.com forward slash four. This is episode four, parentingjunkie.com forward slash four. Please head on over there, check out the show notes for the resources. And also, if you know anyone who struggles with anxiety or who, you know, just feels worried, just feels a little worried, um, please send them this episode. Just take a screenshot or share it with them. I know it can help them. It's important to address this. So um, what you could also do, and I would love it if you did, is snap a screenshot right now or a selfie of yourself listening to this episode. First of all, I absolutely love to see where you guys are listening to my podcast. I love to see that. Are you washing the dishes or driving? Or Well, if you're driving, please don't snap a selfie. But uh, <laughs> what are you doing right now? Snap a selfie and then share it on Instagram. Tag me. I'm going to share those out to my stories and shout out to you. And that would be another great way to tag a friend who might enjoy this episode. Okay. So I want to share my own story uh, just because I think it might be some help helpful for some context. And I'll just share it really briefly, which is that when I was a teenager, when I was about 14, I was living in Israel at the time and there was a series of terror attacks. So there were many, many, uh, suicide bombs and bus bombs and, um, stabbings, uh, and that kind of thing in the place where I lived in Jerusalem. And I was actually at the scene of some of these events. And I lost friends and acquaintances. And these bombs, they happened in the neighborhood where I was living on the buses that I rode on to get to school. And people that I know were killed. And I went to many, many, many funerals that year. I must've gone to like one every other week. It was crazy. Um, It was a really intense and really frightening time living in a war zone, basically. And, you know, I developed PTSD. It was so, uh, you know, appropriate to develop PTSD as a teenager in that situation. And all anxiety is appropriate. Every fear that we have, whether it's to terror and war or to driving our car or what we have on our fruit, you know, pesticides, any anxiety that you have is valid and is appropriate. 
And I'll explain why in a minute. But of course, my fear was very appropriate in that setting. And so my parents, bless them, they just thought that's normal. That makes sense that you're afraid. Of course, you're afraid. This is scary. We're also afraid. Everyone's afraid. But what I realized was that I was much more afraid than the people around me. I was much more paralyzed. I was so paralyzed that I was afraid to open the front door of my home. I was sometimes so paralyzed that I was afraid to get out of my bed. I thought there must be a terrorist in the cupboard, in my room, in my closet. I thought that, you know, I couldn't go and wash my face in the morning because someone would be there with a sniper. You know, a sniper would be there trying to kill me. I was afraid for my life 24-7 for about three or four years. And I had recurring nightmares every night with tragic scenarios. So always someone close to me was being killed and I was at the funeral and I would wake up in cold sweats and crying and not sure if it was reality or not. Now, I share this with you not to uh, scare you or anything or, or, or have a pity party for myself, but to say that anxiety was so real for me. The PTSD was so real, post-traumatic stress disorder was so real that I had almost kind of, um, not hallucinations, but delusions that there were snipers trying to get me all of the time. And I was living in this constant state. You know, if you imagine there's someone outside the door, they're going to get me, they're going to get me, they're going to, if you're in that state, you can imagine your heart is pumping, your blood is cursing through your veins, your cheeks are red, you have an adrenaline rush, you're in fight, flight or freeze mode, you're like just trying to plan your escape, how you're going to survive. You're in literal survival mode. And when you are in that state, it's great for trying to survive, right? If you're actually being chased by a sniper or whatever, that's a good mode to be in because you will shut down all rest and digest activity. Your brain will only focus on laser sharp focus on keeping you alive. Um, And that's really good in that state, but it's a terrible state to live your life in. It's a terrible state to live your everyday uh, life in because you can't be creative, you can't relax, you can't enjoy, you can't connect, you're always on edge, you're you're also just your hormonal uh, balance is completely off because you've got just all the chemicals um, that are released in order to keep you safe are, are pumping you up, you're on high alert in this attempt to survive. So again, if the threat is real, that's good. But when the threat isn't, that's bad. And in my case, the threat was based on reality. You know, there was a reality of war and that's generally speaking what happens with anxiety. We hear a story, we see something on the news, we, uh, you know, imagine something in our minds or we've heard something from a friend, we read something in a magazine and then we start to develop a narrative that that's going to happen to us, that that could happen to us any minute, right? And it becomes very afraid. And I want to give you one more example from my life, which is that there was a case of SIDS in my family. Um, In fact, I have a sister, uh, my parents' first child died of SIDS. And SIDS was a very um, real occurrence in my family. It it happened. (laughs) It really, really happened, uh, tragically. And so when I had my first child, uh, and this is something many of you wrote on that book, on that post in Facebook, on the Love Parenting Group, that SIDS is your big fear. When I had my first child, I was wrought with anxiety over SIDS. Uh, obviously, um, especially because I had had a case of that in my family, it was a very real fear. 
It is so paralyzing though, right? Because if you're afraid of SIDS, then you're getting up every moment to check your baby's breathing and you're constantly on high alert and you're constantly thinking, what if, what if, what if, what if? And you're living as though you've already reached some tragedy or something terrible has already occurred to you rather than enjoying the present moment, rather than being able to actually connect and be joyful in your life right now. So it's so paralyzing, right? So then what do we do when we're in a a state of anxiety? So whatever your anxiety is, right? It could be anxiety about performance in school, anxiety about social interactions, anxiety about getting lost or vaccinations or circumcision or guilt or whatever it is that you have anxiety about. And it really doesn't matter what it is. The first way that many of us attempt to handle this anxiety is to try and stop it, right? To try and stop the thought. I shouldn't feel this way. What's wrong with me? Why am I so scared? I should, I'm ashamed of myself. Um, you know, I should feel guilty and I should, uh, I should be able to relax. I should be able to let go of these thoughts. I should be present. Um, we try to stop the thought or deny it, right? Kind of oppress ourselves and suppress these feelings and these thoughts. We try to say, no, 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 it won't happen. It won't happen. It won't happen. It's not a problem. Don't worry. Don't worry. Just stop worrying. Just stop thinking about it, right? Kind of try to push it down. And the trouble with this is that when we push feelings down, especially anxiety, when we push it down, we store it in our bodies. We store that stress. It doesn't actually go away because feelings need to be processed. So the feeling of anxiety gets pushed down and then we store it either physically in our achy body, in a pain, in a knot in our stomach, in a feeling sick, in diarrhea, in whatever it is, it comes out in some way. It expresses itself in some way. But also when we hold it in, we're not getting to the root cause. We're not dealing with it. And when we oppress it, it actually feels really bad. It feels like we're oppressing ourselves. And anxiety calls our bluff. We say, no, no, it's not a problem. I'm not scared. It's not going to happen, right? And anxiety is there to tell us it will. It keeps popping up. It keeps coming back and saying, but maybe, right? It's like that tap on the shoulder. Like, are you sure? Are you sure this fear isn't real? I'm going to make it even more real for you. And I'll explain why anxiety does that in just a moment. The other thing that we try to do is we try to avoid the trigger, okay? So what does that mean? Well, if I'm afraid of what might happen in school, um, I won't send my children to school, right? Some of you said I'm afraid of a school shooting, so I should avoid it, right? I won't send my children to school. Um, Now, this isn't a comment on school or no school or on homeschooling. I'm just saying the idea of avoiding a trigger, right? Well, I'm worried about my baby choking on baby led weaning, so I won't do it. I'm scared about what will happen, uh, you know, if my mother-in-law takes care of my children. So I'm going to avoid that. Avoiding anxiety. Now, unfortunately, both oppressing anxiety and avoiding anxiety strengthen the anxiety. Let me give you a really simple example of why and how this works. Anxiety is there to keep us safe. It's an evolutionary system that basically says, when there might be trouble, sound the alarm, right? It's an alarm bell. If you think about a smoke detector, it's a really useful thing. And homes with smoke detectors are more likely to survive and less likely to go up in fire, right? So it's evolutionarily what's kept us safe. People who have anxiety, who see something and think the worst, think something bad is going to happen, think it's not going to go well, are likely to survive because they're always being careful. They're always avoiding 
potential dangers. And that's great when they are potential dangers. But when they go into the realm of imagined dangers or exaggerated dangers, then that's not great for us, right? We don't want to have to avoid just regular day-to-day things or do them but suffer through them. So anxiety is there to keep us safe, right? Anxiety is that alarm bell going off in our mind. It's the smoke detector. But imagine your smoke detector is faulty. Imagine your smoke detector keeps going off every time you boil the pasta. Well, now that's not a great smoke detector anymore. In fact, it's really annoying because a fire only happens very, very rarely. And of course, we want the smoke detector there for that occurrence. But we cook every single day. And when we're cooking and the smoke detector's going off, it's just a really loud, really distracting noise and it's very, very disturbing. That's what's happening when we're anxious, okay? So when we oppress the smoke detector, when we oppress our anxiety and we say, no, it's nothing. No, the the pasta isn't really a fire. Stop ringing, right? And we kind of press the off button on the smoke detector. We say, no, it's okay. But we haven't fixed the smoke detector. It's going to keep tripping. And in this example, you could imagine it getting louder and louder each time as we ignore it, saying, no, wait, the pasta already is a fire. The steam from the cooking is a fire. And it works harder to alert us. This kind of faulty alarm system, the anxiety is saying, no, I'm going to shake you up even harder. I'm going to come back with even more dramatic and fearful scenarios because you're not listening to me, because you're trying to deny me. But when we avoid the trigger, that also doesn't work, right? Because what happens is now we stop cooking because of the faulty smoke detector. And now we're actually avoiding really important things in our lives, like cooking, because of a faulty smoke detector. Now, I want you to imagine anxiety as a character, okay? And we're actually gonna go into the solution now that I wanna pose to you, or the beginning of the solution. And of course, big disclaimer here is that, you know, there are entire libraries written about anxiety and overcoming anxiety, but I'm just giving you a starting point, an inspiration, some of the things that have helped me, okay? My point of view on this. It's not the be all and end all, and I hope that this is just the beginning, an invitation, to get you to actually address any anxieties you're having in a deeper way. But I want you to imagine anxiety as a character. And I want you to imagine them as it, it as maybe as a positive character. Maybe you'd even like to borrow my um, uh, analogy, my little metaphor that I use for myself, which is a fairy bush a tree, okay, a plant. Imagine a little plant that grows fairies, okay? And these are worry fairies. And their whole job is to keep you safe by making you worry about something, by alerting you to something, okay? And as you water this plant and as you tend to this plant, you get more and more worry fairies and they get bigger and stronger and juicier, these little cute fairies that are there to keep you so safe, right? But these worry fairies only get bigger and stronger when you tend to them. And they are always going to bring about more and more worries to your attention and sprinkle more and more and more worry dust on you, if you like. 
So let's go back to the two kind of failed approaches to managing these worry fairies, right? One is oppressing. So one is saying to the fairy, say a fairy comes to you and says, you should be worried about weaning your toddler, right? You should be worried about weaning your toddler because it's not going to go well and you're going to damage their psyche and they're going to not, you know, have the nutrients that they need and they won't be properly vaccinated because you're stopping nursing and they won't be uh, attached to you and you're going to damage your rupture, your attachment. And this worry fairy is coming and giving you, sprinkling all these worries on you. Why? Because she wants to protect your relationship with your toddler. She wants the best for you. Now, if you oppress her and you say, stop it, stop talking to me, she's going to say, oh my goodness, no, it's my job to get this message across loud and clear. I need to shake you even louder. I'm going to get louder in your ear, right? That's when we oppress the thought. We say, stop it. I don't need to think about that. I'm denying it. She's going to keep buzzing around our head again and again. Or we can avoid the trigger, i.e. listen to the worry fairy, right? And say, okay, you're right. I'm not going to wean my toddler. I'm going to avoid the trigger. I'm not going to do the thing that I wanted to do because I'm anxious about it. Because I've listened to this little worry fairy. Now, what happens in that case is the worry fairy goes back to the bush. She goes back to the tree. She is happy. She's been satiated, right? You're not going to do the thing that she was warning you against. And so she is released of her duty. The trouble there is that you have just strengthened the message in your own brain that that is indeed something that you need to worry about. You have aligned with the anxiety. You've aligned with the worry fairy. You've said, okay, I surrender to you. You're right. I won't do the thing that I was going to do or that I wanted to do. Now, the trouble with our brain in that case is that our brain gets relief. We feel better because we didn't do it. We avoided the fear. We avoided the trigger and we feel better. And so we were rewarded for avoiding the trigger. And our brain understands this as a justification and a validation of the fear. What we're saying is, yes, I should have been afraid of that thing because when I didn't do it, it felt better. So for example, if someone has a phobia of cats, someone's very, very afraid of cats. As they move towards a cat and see a cat, they feel fear. Okay, that's the worry fairy coming and saying, there's a cat, they're going to eat you, they're going to scratch you, they're going to kill you. I don't know, the cat's really dangerous, don't get near a cat. They feel themselves hyperventilating. They feel their blood pressure rise. They feel their heart pumping, their face getting flushed. They're going into fight, flight, or freeze mode. Their brain is in reptilian survival mode. They're stressed. They're that paralyzed place that I was in when I thought there was a sniper outside the door. They're very, very afraid for their lives. They're really, 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 really anxious and flustered. Okay, they feel so uncomfortable in that situation. And then the worry fairy says, get away from the cat, don't go near the cat. So they step away from the cat. They walk back, they walk away, they're no longer near the cat and now all of the systems calm down. All of the systems settle. And so now they've been rewarded for leaving their fear, for moving away from their fear. And so what does the brain say? Oh, you see, I was right. Cats are dangerous. I was right in warning you away from the cats because near the cat, you were so afraid. And when you moved away from the cat, you felt better. Conclusion must be never go near a cat again. 
And that is why each and every time that person with a cat phobia goes near a cat, they are reinforcing that worry fairy, that fear. They are saying, yes, this is correct because I feel fear near the cat. I must run away from a cat. And that's why phobias and fears and anxieties sometimes grow the more we avoid the source of our anxiety. And so what I want to say is that that avoidance, that feeding into whatever the worry fairy has told you is not the answer. I'm going to break down the solution now in sequential steps in the way that I like to deal with my own anxieties. And I'm going to use these worry fairies as the analogy because I think it's very helpful. The first thing is to detach from the anxiety. And that is what I do when I see it as a worry fairy. I kind of look at the anxiety as a thought that is separate from myself. Because what usually happens when we hear a thought like, you're not good enough, you're messing this up, it's not going to go well, what if they die, what if there's a hurricane, what if someone bullies them, what if I'm damaging their psyche? When we hear those thoughts, we attach to them. Why? They're happening in our own minds. And so we think that they're reality. We think that they're the truth just because we thought them. So when you think a thought, you just identify with it immediately unless you examine it and detach from it. So when you suddenly say, oh, that's a worry fairy whispering in my ear. That's a worry fairy sprinkling some dust and trying to protect me. That's a worry fairy from a worry plant that I myself am watering. I water it with my attention. I water it with my thoughts. I water it the more I turn towards that worry fairy and listen to her. So when you listen to that worry fairy, but you realize that it is not you, you can start to evaluate it. You can start to question it and to say, well, thank you. And this is step number two. Step number two is to thank the worry. Thank that fairy for trying to protect you. Realize that your mind is doing its best. Your mind is trying to keep you in survival mode. Your mind may not realize that you are no longer in the jungle or in a cave or in an abusive home or in a relationship that wasn't working. Maybe you are in a much safer place now than our ancestors were or maybe than even you were as a child. And so you need to thank the fairy for trying to concern us, trying to protect us. These anxious minds were were more cautious and survived more throughout history, which is why we now have our worries. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. So you turn to that thought and you say, thank you for alerting me to the fact that I might be, you know, damaging my child or that I, that we might die in the car crash or that there might be pesticides on these tomatoes. Thank you for alerting me to that. I appreciate your concern. And you release it. You bless it. You let it go on its way. And here's why. The only true way to overcome anxiety, in my opinion, is to detach from it, as we've said, listen to it, thank it for its concern, release it, and then stay in the trigger. Stay in the place that is uncomfortable for us. Stay with the thought that is uncomfortable for us or with the plan, with the action. Stay in the fear, feel the fear and doing it anyway. Being exposed continuously a little bit more and a little bit more to our fear. 
And what I mean by that is if we go back to the cat analogy, the reason that person left the cat was because the worry fairy told them that they must get away from the cat in order to feel relief. And here's the kind of trick with worry fairies. When you do the very thing that they're warning you against, when you go for the very thing that they're trying to make you afraid of, their job is done and the worry fairy dies. That's how worry fairies die. They die by us doing what we were anxious about doing. My worry fairies died when I opened my front door of my house and I went out despite the worry fairy telling me that there are snipers trying to kill me. I felt relief by shutting the door and running up to my bedroom. But here's the amazing thing. I also felt relief by opening the front door and leaving the house. Because fear subsides, anxiety passes, all feelings do. They leave when they haven't successfully deterred us. They are only a warning system. They don't stay. Worry fairies don't stay whispering in your ear when you've thanked them, released them, and gone ahead to do it anyway. So if you are afraid of driving your car with your children and you keep listening to the worry fairy, yes, there might be something terrible, there might be something terrible happening, you're entertaining that fairy, you're dancing with it, you're letting those thoughts have real estate in your mind, take up space, right? Take up your time. You're watering that plant. You're actually nurturing it. But when you say, yes, thank you for keeping me safe, I understand that this is a risk. I'm doing it anyway. This is how I need to live live my life. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You're released. And you go ahead, then it passes. You feel okay driving the car, right? You're not sitting there in a constant state of paralysis and fear and sweat and stress because those systems pass when we release them, when we calm our nervous systems, when we do it anyway. All of their worry dust, you know, kind of settles. And it, it, it's only there, it was only ever there to try to stop us moving forward, to try to stop us going into something, to try to deter us, right? And let me give you, you know, it's very clear when I talk about cats or when I talk about driving a car, but maybe if it was a little bit of a, of a more um, ambiguous worry or a little bit more of a theoretical worry, like a natural disaster hitting for example, yeah? If we say this fear of a natural disaster hitting, how does this apply? Well, there's a little worry fairy that's in your ear saying a hurricane could come, a hurricane could come, a tornado could hit, a tsunami could come, right? It's trying to keep you safe. This worry fairy is trying to keep you safe. But when you turn to it and you say, huh, that thought is coming to try and keep me safe. Thank you. I appreciate you trying to keep me safe. I release you. Why? Because I'm living my life anyway. I'm going to travel to this destination anyway, or I'm going to go outside anyway, or I'm going to get in the car anyway, or I'm going to sign up for school or wean my toddler or share my bed or breastfeed or not breastfeed or vaccinate or not vaccinate or circumcise or not circumcise. All the things, I'm going to go ahead with my choice anyway because I need to live my life. And because living with a worry fairy whispering in my ear is no way to live. So thank you. I appreciate you. Goodbye. 
and then the fairy dies. And then you stay in that place until the fairy dies, if it doesn't die straight away, right? You stay with it until the anxiety no longer has a grip on you. When you can do this, when you can befriend your anxiety, say, thank you, that's interesting, that's a a valid point that you're making, that's a helpful thought, but now I release you, I appreciate you coming to try and protect me, and now you can go be on your merry way, you can, you know, die, you can return to dust um, in in the sweetest fairy-like way, that is really helpful. Now, I want to just apply this to maybe the mother of all worries, right? The mother of all anxieties is, is death. The mother of all anxieties is perhaps the death of our children, maybe even more than our own death, right? But even that, we can apply this process to, and I do. I used to have a crippling anxiety of my children dying. But when you sit with the fact that people die, that life is not promised, that tomorrow isn't promised, that's just reality. Yes, children can die. And I will do everything in my power to keep us safe. But we also have to live our lives. And I also don't want this crippling anxiety. And frankly, it doesn't help keeping me safe. It doesn't help keeping my children safe. Worrying and wondering whether or not they might die and listening to that worry fairy all of the time only keeps me frustrated, fearful, timid, paralyzed, and it actually stops me from letting my children do the very things that makes life worth living. It actually stops me from letting them take risks, from letting them spread their wings and be separated from me and build relationships with other people and do, you know, do life. It stops me. And so I thank that fairy. Thank you. Yes, it's true. You're trying to keep me safe. You're trying to alert me that children could die. It's true. Children could die. But I need to live my life now and I need to be present for my children. And so I release you and I bless you and I'm going to stay in this present moment. I'm not going to entertain the fairy that wants me to think only about the future or only about the past or only about the worst case scenario or only about the catastrophe that's right around the corner. Those fairies aren't here to make my life better. They're trying. They're trying their hardest. But I don't invite them in. I don't uh, continue to listen. And once I don't continue to listen and I just do life and I just stay in my place of anxiety of, yes, being a parent is anxious, but I'm just going to stay with that. And I'm still going to get my kids in a car and I'm still going to let my kids be with a babysitter and we're still going to go on a plane and we're still going to eat that food and we're still going to do the things that we need to do because there's risk in everything. And sure, we'll use common sense and we'll try and be safe, but we're still going to do life. Then those fairies don't stick around they die. There's nothing for them to stay for because they are only faulty warning systems. They are only that smoke detector that's trying to tell you that your pasta is on fire when it's just a little bit of steam. I hope that this is really helping you to reframe your anxieties as sweet, helpful little fairies that are just misguided and you can just release them. And I say just, but I don't mean just. I know that this is hard work. And I want to reiterate that if it's very hard work, that if you're truly paralyzed by anxiety, then please seek professional help. I went to CBT with my post-trauma, with my PTSD, with my post-traumatic stress disorder, and it really, really helped. But there have been a lot of things that have helped since then, such as learning about mindfulness, such as learning further about CBT and other um, methods of therapy. 
And I try to help my children with these as well. Now, in my present play membership, I go deeply into how to help children with fears, with um, nightmares, etc., with you know fears of the dark and that kind of thing. But I want to tell you that all of this is relevant for them too. All of this works for children. We all have the same kind of psychology, same makeup. And so the things that you're finding that help you, definitely apply those in a more playful and simplified way. But I certainly think that worry fairies or little worry monsters or something like that, I personally like to make them friendly creatures. But personifying them as creatures, I think is helpful in detaching and in talking back to them, saying, nope, I don't need you. You're not invited. I'm done with you. Goodbye. Thank you. Okay. Overcoming anxiety, extremely important. If this was helpful for you, I would absolutely love to hear about it. Please do let me know on Instagram um, and please share this with anyone who might be suffering from a little bit of worry fairies buzzing in their ear. Now, once we are somewhat free from anxiety, somewhat more relaxed, and we can enjoy our days a little bit more, one of the things that comes up is presence, right? We hear so much about the importance of being in the present moment and don't miss out on their childhoods and enjoy them while they're young and time flies and they go so fast and you should just be present and all we have is now and the present moment. But I'm the type of person who likes a really actionable plan. I like to actually know what that means. When someone says presence, what does it mean? What does it look like? What does it feel like? And how do I do it? I know presence is a state of being, but I'm the type of person who needs to know how to do something, how to get into that state of being, right? And so that is what I'm going to talk about in next week's episode. We're going to hear how to be present in actionable steps. (laughs) So I can't wait to go uh, deep into presence next week. Meanwhile, please subscribe rate the show and review. Thank you so much to all of those of you who are doing that already. And definitely go over to theparentingjunkie.com forward slash four for the show notes on this, where you can also grab some resources such as the books that I could recommend both for adults and for children on overcoming anxiety. And remember, keep on loving parenting and parenting from love. Namaste. Namaste.